0: What about those instructors who struggle with technology and want to try implementing DIY, but might be a little bit intimidated by all this, all these uh, different tools to try out with DIY? What do you, what do you tell them?
1: Grandchildren. <laughs> I think that their grandchildren are probably very well versed in this technology, and I, 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 and you know, reach out to your instructional design department.
2: I want to tag on to that. Cause th- but twist it around mm-hmm. I think grandchildren and children are a great answer. start using it for yourself. start recording mm-hmm. your family doing things oh yeah don't don't yeah. practice make the very f- yeah practice you're listening to instruction by design your podcast to the art of teaching
3: In this episode we will look at multimedia as a tool for facilitating instruction. I will be using Richard E. Mayer's definition for multimedia instruction, that is, presentations involving words and pictures that are intended to foster learning. In this context, the term words refers to both printed and spoken text. The premise of our discussion rests upon Mayer's findings that learners can better understand an explanation when it is presented with words and pictures instead of just words alone. This is good news, especially considering that recent advancements in computer graphics, recording technology, and authoring tools has served to greatly democratize the process of content creation, allowing just about anyone the ability to make engaging and effective instructional multimedia. So what are the types of multimedia commonly used in online classes? What are tools and resources necessary to make a good quality product? What should an instructor bear in mind when recording or preparing to record? We intend to cover these topics with maybe a dash of theory thrown into the mix in this episode of Instruction by Design. But first, introductions. Joining me today is...
0: Celia Kachaitiwa. Jeanette Senecal.
2: Stephen Crawford.
1: And I'm Ricardo Leone. I'm a media specialist here at uh, at the College for Nursing and Health Innovation. Yes, Ricardo will be the co-host today, mm-hmm. so that's something new. Yes, I'm usually just uh, behind the scenes doing the audio, but... Uh, Front and center in.
3: today. Front and center. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, Ricardo. So first question, what are the various types of online presentations and when is it appropriate to use them? I know Jeanette and Steven recently wrote a chapter about this topic.
4: Yes, we did. We tried to codify and distill some of the various options out there and essentially came up with four types overall or categories. Uh, The first being audio recording. Should we talk about that a little bit before we move on?
3: Sure. Which technically isn't multimedia because it's just audio only, but it's, indeed, it's still media and it's effective. So why not? Right. So like this podcast is an audio recording. So that's one example.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think another good example is, you know, doing a weekly introduction for course, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's cheap and easy to make, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, you don't have to worry about production values as much. You just need, good sounding audio. So if you want to record using your headset mic, you know, on a Sunday morning, what the students will be doing in the upcoming week in your course, it's a one and done. You're never going to use the audio again after that week is over. So when you teach the course next time, you just do something a little different that's appropriate for that course. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like audio recording so much is that there is such a low threshold to reach to get good audio. It's, it's really simple to, to have a quality product.
3: That's very yeah. true. Even an iPhone has a great microphone in it. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah.
1: And I recently just turned uh, for a faculty uh, you know, slide deck that had some uh, narration on it. And she thought, you know what? We don't need the slides. We can just have these as audio recordings and release them like that. And that way she said that the students were really looking for something that they can listen to in their car you know, on the way to class or the way to work. Audio is
2: an easy way to to kind of absorb the information. It goes back to the early days of podcasting in higher education, where over 10 years ago, the research was sitting there going, oh, what you need to do is record your lecture sessions from your class so the students can re-listen to it. And you can have oceanography in the gymnasium. iTunes Mm. you anybody? Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know if students really were listening to oceanography while on the treadmill but you know at the same time it it for those students who want to have that opportunity to listen to something while on a commute mm-hmm. or or in the gym or on a run or whatever yeah it it does Provide an opportunity.
4: Well, I can think of a couple of disciplines and also just sort of content areas that are well aligned to that media type. One, for example, being foreign language acquisition. Sometimes it's very important to just listen to native accents, tone, and mm-hmm. absorb that and, and be able to repeat that on demand until you sort of get where you need to be. Another, perhaps, uh, music theory or instrumentation where you need to hear that and not be distracted by visuals. And lastly, from our health sciences area, things like heart sounds. They're not visual Mm -hmm. per se in some cases when you're listening listening to the percussion and you're getting used to what that would be like if you were using your own stethoscope.
2: But I'd also say that anytime you have an opportunity to bring an expert into your classroom, say you're at a conference and say you're talking to the leading person and your topic that you're teaching your class on, whip out your smartphone, your iPhone, your Android phone, whichever device you use, and record a short interview. Ask them some questions, have them respond. You've just now created a great piece for your course that you may not have gotten otherwise, mm-hmm. and you did it very quickly.
1: Yeah, because you can always point your students to other previously recorded media, but to really have it within the context of what your discussion is is really—I think that's a really cool way to tailor, keep it current, the content to what you're you're talking about.
3: So I've seen for like iPhones, for example, adapters that are basically shotgun mics that fit into the what used to be the uh, audio jack, mm-hmm. which I guess doesn't exist anymore. So who knows what's going to happen with that, but. It seems like with minimal investment, and I, don't, I really don't know how much these things are, but uh, I think these microphones go for under $100 anyways. So yeah. if you're looking at doing a lot of recordings, you can buy a shotgun mic that'll go into your smartphone, your iPhone, and you know, shotgun mic is like the long microphone, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of skinny and long. And you just point it in the direction that you're recording and you can get really good audio fidelity it's such at, a simple investment.
2: And not yeah. to buzz market, but Rode Microphones, R-O-D-E, yeah. sell some great microphones oh, Rode, for mobile yeah. devices, and they're in the just under $100 range. Yeah. Rode is a
3: great company, great brand. Mm-hmm. So any other toys? Like, For example, I'm an instructor. I want to make a quick audio recording. Where do I start?
2: Pull your phone out of your pocket and start recording. Start yeah. recording. There's, so, pro- there's probably a free app on it that you don't even need to download anything. It's just ready to go.
3: It should come with an app for audio recording. Yeah, get right the down.
2: voice memo for the iPhone and whatever Android has.
3: Sure. I'm going to take this one step further. How do I get it from my phone to my online classroom?
2: Call your instructional designer. Uh,
3: <laughs> always a good idea. Okay, so what else? We have audio recordings. Are there any other kinds of online presentations
4: Category two, voiceover presentations.
1: Yes, so that's when they're recording uh, narration over their slides.
4: Typically, yeah. There are a few different variants that um, you might include things like formative assessments in between portions of the slides and the recordings. Um, Also, maybe some interactive activities that are not graded. They're not assessments per se, but it gives people an opportunity to do things on the screen and keep them engaged as they're going through a lecture.
3: And this is true multimedia. You're using images with narration. Correct. And usually the image is, what, like a PowerPoint slide? I'm thinking of like Adobe Presenter or recording your screen where you're going through a slide deck and then you're recording your voice.
4: Typically. You might also include other things like static images or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, clips, video clips, perhaps, depending on the level of complexity.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Are we talking primarily in the cases of online courses or hybrid courses? Or does is there kind of a one-size-fits-all for both of those
2: types I, of courses? I would also drop in face-to-face courses if, face-to-face if you're using courses. the flipped yeah. classroom. I think online presentations has a role regardless of modality of the course. So kind of in place of readings? No, some... I would never say in place of a reading, um, but to supplement the reading. Supplement. So I mean, for me, the readings are important. It brings a certain foundational knowledge that is presented in a way that it is for a reason. I think that the instructor-created presentations will help localize, for lack of a better term, that reading and and bring that topic into connection to what the course is about. And with that, you know, one of the things, you know, when you think about that, I suggest you don't repeat the readings and the recordings. I mean, that's what the reading is for. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna lecture on the readings, don't do the readings. If you're going to supplement the readings, make it very clear. Do the readings, then listen to this, because I'm going to build on what you just what you just read and help you and help contextualize it. Also, don't put a lot of words in that slide. Your standard PowerPoint rules, you know, don't make the slide super wordy, and please don't read me the slide. Um, student, it's a cognitive overload in that point where the students are reading and hearing the same words at the same time, it, it's it just causes confusion. Instead, I would think about it from a usability standpoint. And if you have that image, describe that image, describe why, why that image is important and give a narration of what's on the screen. Because if you have students with a visual impairment, they're not gonna see the image. But if you describe the image in enough detail that even a visually impaired student can understand what that image is, and what you're trying to get them to learn—that's that's fantastic. That's exactly what you should be doing.
4: That's particularly important for things like data visualizations, charts, graphs, etc., to really explain those well for all students.
3: Well, Stephen, you brought up cognitive load. So we're, this is the dash of theory that I alluded to earlier. What is cognitive load exactly? This is a theory of. Uh, cognitive theory of multimedia instruction, right?
2: Well, I mean, it's the idea of how much does a person remember? How do you, you know, when you think about it, the idea is that, you know, the theory is that you remember seven things plus or minus two is the reason why supposedly phone numbers are only seven digits. Now, the thing to remember is all these studies were done with randomized letters and numbers. So, yeah, it's hard to remember randomized things. But when you have internalized something where a single phone number is – is in conjunction, then you know that, oh, that's now just one item out of seven. It's, you know, it's it's about chunking, which I I know we'll probably talk about more in, in a minute. But the idea is that, you know, when your mental capacity is at its load, something has to drop for you to shift your attention to it. And the idea is that the longer you can keep it in that cognitive memory, you can work with it and then hopefully transfer it to short-term memory. And then hopefully you'll remember it long enough in short-term memory that it might actually have enough connections to stick in your long-term memory. And then you can take a test on it a week or two later or do a project and actually get a, a passing grade.
3: For the computer nerds out there, this sounds to me something like hard drive versus RAM, random access memory. The hard drive being the long-term memory and then the RAM being the short-term.
2: And the processor itself being the cognitive load.
3: Nice, Very nice. So this is all sort of related to dual channel theory. I guess this is one of the leading cognitive theories, uh, especially for multimedia instruction that's out right now. And it's this idea that the uh, human information processing system includes dual channels for both visual and auditory processing. This Mm. basically means images and text, and then text can be verbal narration or actual typed words, for example, right? So each channel has a capacity and you can overload those channels. So going back to the bricks of text PowerPoint slides, if you have a brick of text on the screen that the student's looking at and then you're also repeating that with your voiceover narration, you might overload the student's cognitive capacity. You might overload that, that channel. Did I say that right? I think I said that right.
2: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Something like that, right? That's just it. Try listening to any podcast, any lecture, any audio, any video. Just try listening to it while reading something completely different. You will switch back and forth and Mm -hmm. you'll remember pieces and parts. But odds are if it's, you know, you won't remember everything from both.
3: So how can we... Reduce this extraneous processing then. So you you had mentioned chunking, right? This is a very popular term, especially for instructional designers. What is chunking? Sounds like a candy bar to me, like a Snickers. <laughs> candy
2: bar. No, that's chunky. Oh chunky. Yeah. <laughs>
0: chunking would take your topic and break them into let's say subtopics so bite that you're chunks. not yes bite size <laughs> chunks exactly
1: fun size chunks so size that
0: you're not giving them too much information to take in all at one time it gives their mind some time to process what it is that the subtopics are and it gives them a chance to be able to remember what you're talking about Going back to looking at the voiceover presentations, that also helps if you are chunking those presentations with what you are saying and then giving visual keywords. Mm-hmm. That will also help the students to remember what it is that you were saying, especially for those who are more visual learners versus auditory learners. They'll be able to listen to that audio. But then if they have those visual cues, mm-hmm. that will mm-hmm. also help them to remember what, those, um, what was being said.
2: There's some really important pieces there because if you have it in those bite-sized chunks, you know. And I'll go back to an example. We had a faculty member who had a 42-minute audio presentation mm-hmm. that they were doing on a voiceover slides, and they had chunked it into one category of of certain types of uh, skin disorders. I think it was, and that's too long. 42 minutes is too long. We know from various studies that. Essentially, 10 to 15 minutes is about as good as you're going to get. That's
3: the limit for. Yeah.
2: I mean, one study. Spans? Yeah. And one study I've seen shows that 15 minutes for medical students who have obviously at that point in their academic career are used to lectures, it's 10 minutes for undergraduates. And so, with that being said, that was obvious. 42 is going to be way too long. So, over the course of the conversation, the idea was, well, I'll just break it in half arbitrarily. And mm. then we were talking, going, well, Is there another way to do it? And then when they mentioned that there were three subcategories, well, if there's three subcategories, each subcategory gets its own. And what you can do now is you take those chunks, as Celia was describing it, and you do that activity after each chunk. You're building connections. And by building stronger connections in the mind, you're helping that transfer from the cognitive load, the processor, so to speak to the RAM, the short-term memory, Mm -hmm. and hopefully building connections so that it gets stored in the long-term memory so you can actually recall it when you need it later because you have strong connections to that knowledge and and understand its meaning.
4: And I would add that a lot of times we refer to those as mini-lectures categorically, but there's also another option for a micro-lecture, which we tend to refer to as the glue between things or around things. The micro-lectures may be the place where you actually do insert time-related items, an assignment coming up, um, context for a reading, something that's very brief, very focused, three minutes or less, mm-hmm. but doesn't necessarily have the same production values. You're you're not necessarily thinking about reusability.
2: Well, let's go back to that the audio you might do for that weekly uh, module introduction. Instead of telling the student, go read chapter seven of this textbook, you would tell them in the audio in that short little two to three minutes going, When you read chapter seven, think about this. Mm -hmm. You've now established hooks and memory for that knowledge to stick to. You're going to help that transfer to long-term memory just by doing that.
0: Even in when I think back to my large lecture classes as an undergrad, even some of those best lecturers who were, let's say, the 40-minute lecture, they might not have noticed, but they probably or they were still doing semi chunks, whether it was somebody stopping them to ask a clarifying question mm-hmm. or they were clarifying what they were saying and stopping for a minute to make sure that everyone understood. Yeah. You really don't notice it because you you're looking more at the, oh my gosh, I've been sitting here for 40 minutes listening to him talk, but at the same time somewhere in there there were pieces that were kind of stop and take a breath moments. For the lecture.
2: Yeah, and you have to do more than just take a breath. And let's be honest, there are some people who are just charismatic speakers and they can lecture to you for three hours and you will enjoy every moment of it. The question is will you still remember everything or not? I think enjoyment does lead to better you know, tolerance and maybe even better memory, you know, but we're not all charismatic. We're not all going to be the greatest speaker who ever lived. And, uh, you know, we're not all above average speakers.
0: I also think it goes back to auditory versus visual learning, the type of learning that a uh, learner that you are, because not everyone can sit and listen to someone lecture. They have to be doing something, whether it's taking notes, even with the best lectures, they can't sit there for 40 minutes and listen to somebody.
2: I, if I'm listening to Bill Nye, I can sit there for an hour and a half, two hours, no problem. <laughs> the science guy? Yep. <laughs> does, he, does he have that guy going, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. That's me.
3: That's probably the one I would be listening <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> He's the hype man. <laughs> Bill Nye's <Yeah>. hype man. <laughs> yeah, just an interested guy. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about recording lectures, right? For me, there are two categories of this. There's the DIY approach, the do-it-yourself approach, and then there's the what I call the green screen budget. Like Some institutions have a dedicated space with a nice camera, a nice microphones, a green screen in the background, mm-hmm. and they put together a nice polished product, right? But then you have the DIYers who use their MacBook at home to record their lectures. So I want to talk a little bit about that. What are some of the DIY toys for content creation?
4: Well, that's a good segue to the fourth fourth category, actually, because oh. that really is talking... Uh, about-
3: Online presentations. Yeah, absolutely.
4: really focuses on strictly video, what we think mm. of traditionally as we watch something on TV or, or online, but video, active, mm. uh, real-life video. And we tend to think about breaking that down, instructionally speaking, in terms of whether that's a monologue, one person talking, giving a lecture. Or perhaps a dialogue, maybe an interview, maybe some sort of back and forth, you know, case study, role play. Mm. And then your longer form sort of demonstration video where you might be showing a scene or uh, a process or a skill or something like that. Those all have different levels of application and complexity. And that goes right back to do you try to wade into that and, and DIY or do you go to the specialist who have the green screen and all the other tools?
3: I see. So you should probably decide on what kind of video you're making before you look at the tools, DIY versus uh, the green screen budget, for example.
2: And I would recommend reusability. You know, if you're going to go through the trouble of having a studio shoot with all these actors and you're going to act out all this stuff and you're going to do this presentation and you're going to use it in your course once you're probably wasting everybody's time. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing this and say, you know, I see this being used in my course for the next couple of years, or I see other faculty using it, or I see this being shared as an open educational resource. Okay, you've got my attention. I think this might be worthwhile. I think a lot of it is uh, appropriate if, you know, so if you're gonna make a video
1: that's about a conversation, do you really need to be watching the people having a conversation? We're we're working on a, a project right now with a fellowship and uh, the, the instructor was thinking, oh, we're going to get all these different people to come in and we'll sit with them, we'll have a two-shot with the two of us there to having a conversation. I was letting her know, well, I think, you know, we can just just as easily do this as a podcast. That will be a lot less intrusive to everyone involved. You know, and then the students will get the same content from that.
2: The yeah. same benefit. Same and I benefit. agree with that about 95% of the time. Is that 5% that it's got to be special. Yeah. And, you know, let's say you're talking to some international expert Stephen Hawking you know mm-hmm. you're talking oh, yeah. to you know you want to talk to Stephen Hawking or Neil deGrasse Tyson or you're talking to some major leader in the field that is generational that everybody in that field knows and they're at the end of their career you want to go look I'm sitting here with yeah. and we're talking and and you get to actually see the person especially if they're a very animated person mm-hmm. if they're not an animated person if they're not that famous yet you know, and we can say, oh, I want to do this in case they're famous. Yeah, a lot of us might be famous one day, but I doubt it. In case they're yes. famous. <laughs> in the case of us, we're not doing video because we're not going to be famous anytime if soon. If the either.
0: video's but at least right. 15 minutes, they're 15 minutes of fame right there. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> that's why you guys invited me today, because yeah. I might be famous one day. <laughs> right, right. Turn the camera on, guys. Aspiration. We're with Ricardo Leon, guys.
3: Ricardo Ricardo Leon. <laughs> Let's go with the traditional format here. (laughs) Most instructors are used to lecturing. I'm I'm thinking of the traditional format. You know, you go into the classroom, you lecture for, you know, however long, an hour, hour and a half, and you leave. And of course, that's changing, right? But if an instructor wants to record a lecture, say, for their online class, should they go DIY? Should they go green screen, budget? I guess that goes back to, again,
1: is it is it appropriate is it necessary that you have the best production values possible if it's going to be a lecture that you're going to only be using once it's only used within the context of this one event mm-hmm. i would say try your best to to do your best but but not not stress out to make it the most you know the best production you could but if it is like a, like a special occasion if there's if something special about it and it's going to be reused a lot then yeah, I think that if you have the uh, resources from your But they have you, designer. Ricardo, they can call yes, you up and yes, go yes, to your hire Studio. We and do <laughs> so our, our department, we do have uh, some pretty good resources. We have uh, prosumer cameras, we have green screen technology, we have really good audio setup and some skilled workers that that can that can take on these these
2: projects. But there's a cost to that. There and is. I, and I'm not talking necessarily monetarily, right, but if I am recording this today, mm-hmm. and I want this in my course for next week's module, the odds are pretty close to zero, I bet.
1: Yes, yes. Unless you're really... On. If you're
2: really nice, then
1: then that might go a little bit, <laughs> yeah, a little bit faster, uh, I mean, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, because, you know, our department, we, not only do we do the instructional media, we also do the marketing material. So we're, we're spread pretty thin and, you know, to, ha- to have something that needs to be super timely be put out quickly, well, then that's, that's a little more difficult. Yeah. That's where you probably would want to do more of a DIY, get on your cell phone and record the lecture and, you know, release that out to the other students.
2: And that's what I'm thinking. It's like, you know, if I've got a guest speaker who's speaking Friday night on campus and I want that speech available to my students on Monday morning. Mm-hmm. Well, it's an hour long presentation. Right. You're gonna it's gonna take hours to to move the video from the camera mm-hmm. to the computer by itself with no human interaction. And then you're gonna have to process it, color correct, and then render. I mean, right, getting it as well that
1: that effort to get it with the, the good equipment if you're not gonna kind of exactly polish it.
2: it's gonna take time. Whereas again, I, I like the idea of DIY quite a bit Because sometimes you can get to places that it's just you can't set up a camera. Uh, My favorite example, because it's a dream course I would love to have done one day, was a geology course. I would have loved to have done online lectures for a geology course because I would have taken that faculty member to the Grand Canyon. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, why have pictures of the Grand Canyons and talk about rocks when you can sit there and pick one up in the Grand Canyon? And when you consider our smartphones today, their cameras... Yeah, they're not the high quality that you get from broadcast level cameras, but they're still capturing HD video and beyond. They're pretty, beyond. Good. They're pretty yeah. good. Yeah,
3: oh, absolutely. And,
2: I mean, I don't have an iPhone X, nor will I, but it's supposed <laughs> to capture some pretty nice video. Yeah. Okay,
3: so I'm not much of a videographer, but if you're going to go out and make a recording or, you know, if you're going to basically go DIY, what are mm-hmm. some things, what are some tips that we can impart to those budding videographers or, uh, Instructors who are going to record themselves. Sure, sure. Have some
0: uh, sort of tripod, please. Yes, have a <laughs> tripod. Yeah. <laughs> <shaking>. Motion sickness. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are plenty of uh, little kind of Joby little uh, tripods that, that are out there, and they're not too expensive. Joby? Joby, yeah, that's a specific. J-O-B-Y. So it's kind of, it's a tripod, but it has some like... It's Flexible, you can like oh, wrap it around claws. things and things like this little cloth, like like spider almost, or something yeah, like yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, so those are really useful. My phone, it's just a Samsung phone, has a 4K camera, and uh, that's that's really good if you, I mean, especially if you're just recording yourself speaking directly to the camera because the focus is not really great mm-hmm. on these cameras. Mm. So that's an issue is focus, another, yeah, an issue would be focus. You probably want
3: someone behind the phone making sure, like tapping on your face, making sure it's. Zooming in on you, for example, because you'll you'll be sitting what like you'll set the phone up in front of you on the tripod. You know you're facing it. Yeah, but you'll probably want somebody on the other side to make sure that it's.
1: Yeah, I mean you can always do the selfie mode, but that's that's usually
3: lower quality. Um, Selfie cameras are often lower quality. Yeah,
2: yeah, the front-facing camera is usually a yeah like 720 HD versus the 1080 on your. Or 4K on the backside.
3: Yeah. 720 is still pretty good, but it, it comes out a little bit grainier in my experience. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing with doing
1: it 4K, because you're not going to be putting out 4K videos on your, your uh, LMS, but <laughs> <laughs> you are going to, you're probably going to put out uh, HD footage. Mm-hmm. And so with a 4K, you can shoot wider and crop in. And that's great for editing. So, you know, if you have to stumble on your words, you can go from a medium shot to a close up and cover up the fact that you you had
3: a dozen ums in there yeah Mm -hmm. so you're suggesting recording high fidelity and then scale down absolutely absolutely
0: i would also say most likely you're not necessarily staying in selfie mode so we don't have to worry about that part so much
1: and again those road that those road there's tons of uh, road has been kind of uh um specialized not they're not completely specialized but they do do have a lot of products that um work well with cell phones with iphones samsung phones uh, you just plug it in, and you've got a little microphone that's yeah, a lot better than the f- microphone in your phone.
2: Yeah, I own their lavalier mic, mm-hmm. and that's the mic you clip onto the, the that's the mic you clip the onto collar. the collar mm-hmm. or the button of your shirt or a tie if you're a guy wearing one of those. But the cable is not long enough in my in my oh. opinion. Mm. So I was able to find a two meter extension cable, and so I I can then get the camera a little further away, and yet have the cable run down my shirt so it's not visible and then run to the camera without interference. The two things on DIY video is you need to get good audio.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and I will tell you, I, I, I've i been shooting with my iPhone a lot lately, uh, doing different videos, and I'm impressed at how well it works. Yeah, it gets windy, it'll pick up all the wind. Yeah. Um, and windy, it doesn't take much wind, unfortunately. But the other thing I'm also worried about, besides getting good audio, is to make sure that the lighting is decent lighting. because the one. last thing you want is that silhouette of you with that nice background that you've picked right. because it wasn't set right. You didn't have the good lighting. And I know nothing about this.
3: I think you, lighting. you just
2: want the, the lighting to be directed
1: onto your face and not, not have your primary light source behind you. I think that a lot of people who make, Videos think, oh, you know, it's so it's so nice to be sitting here at my desk with this large window behind me and this will look really good on video. But then they, you know, they turn it on and they're like you said, the windows completely blasted. The light is just one large light source and there's a silhouette in the middle. I think that you want to kind of try your best to get a lighting source on your face and uh, have that be the, the primary lighting source and not not be fighting with another larger, more powerful lighting source like the sun.
0: I feel like this is all great. Information, but what about those instructors who struggle with technology and want to try implementing DIY, but might be a little bit intimidated by all this, all these uh, different tools to try out with DIY? What do you, what do you tell them?
1: Grandchildren. <laughs> I think that their grandchildren are probably very well versed in this technology, and I, 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 and you know, reach
2: out to your instructional design department. I want to tag on to that because. Th- But twist it around. Mm -hmm. I think grandchildren and children are a great answer. Start using it for yourself. Start recording Mm -hmm. your family doing things. Don't, don't. Practice. Make the very, yeah, practice. Don't make the very first thing you do your first lecture from the Grand Canyon on rocks or your first lecture from an apothecary where you're going to talk about different herbs and and all sorts of things and integrative medicine. Don't put that pressure on yourself. Go play. And that's one of the things I've been doing myself lately is I've been taking, I have a, a, what's called a gimbal that holds my iPhone steady. And I've just been shooting vid- videos while I run. It's like, look at these great, cool places I go. And I'm shooting them mainly for my parents and my sister and her kids who are back east, North Carolina. They have no idea how few trees we have or what few (laughs) trees we do have, how short they are. And And so, (laughs) yeah, so when you're running through the desert through cacti, it's a whole foreign concept to them. (laughs) So I've just been playing around with that and figuring out what is my style and what works. That practice makes things so much easier. Absolutely.
4: Before we move on, I want to come back to where Ricardo used, editing. There are some good mm-hmm. entry-level free editing tools out there mm-hmm. that, you know, with a couple of tutorials from YouTube, you can be up and running with relatively little pain and suffering.
3: Yeah. That's Do I, you have any that you recommend,
4: Jeanette? I, I do like iMovie if you're working from a, yes. uh, from an Apple environment. The I think they have yeah some nice templates and some, some nice starter pieces. That's where um, I started.
1: And, yeah. know, and I'm, I'm at a here point. today because of iMovie. <laughs> yeah. yes. Seriously, you. garage band yeah. here. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and I'm at a point now where I can do all my video editing on my iPad or my iPhone and iMovie and, yes. and do lower, th- do all the fancy stuff. It's not as fancy as the MacBook version, but I can get, I can get it out and be done and it's over. I believe
1: there's even apps to do it on the phone. Isn't there clips
2: or something like that? Well, iMovie's on the phone and, and now you have phone. Apple clips, which Apple clips. is very basic. It's just putting one clip after the other, doing a little trimming. You can drop emojis on it and, and basic text. And Adobe Premiere has another version as a piece of software for both Android and um iPhone that does about the same thing. Mm
0: -hmm. I would also refer them to grandchildren or children as well because (laughs) I've watched my daughter edit her YouTube videos with her friends on apps, you know, different apps that they use for that. They load it right into YouTube and it's ready to go and it's just very simple editing pieces. I Mm -hmm. mean, whether they know all of the dialogue for actual video editing, probably not, but it does the job that they need it to do. So Mm -hmm. DIY quality, right? Exactly.
1: And I think going back to Stephen's comment about uh, do it for fun you know make it make your next christmas card a little christmas video that you send to everybody just have fun with it and learn learn the tools by enjoying the start low stakes and And both platforms
0: do have some sort of video editing Macs have the iMovie and then windows 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 has movie maker so Mm -hmm. both whether you have either platform both of them have a built-in editor
2: Mm-hmm. And, and for the phones and for the tablets, I mean, you can buy apps for less than $10 that will add some, a lot of features. Yeah. And the problem is more features beats more complications. So therefore, mm-hmm. you may not want to go to them first, stick to the basics and have fun with them. But yeah, if you want to buy your own green screen and you want to drop $8 for an app, yeah, you can do green screen on your iPad. It's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it'll, and you can actually do the live. You can see what that background looks like behind you so you can tune the lighting correctly. But again, that's more complication. Start simple and have fun. Mm-hmm.
3: So for the instructors who are going for the green screen budget approach, they book an appointment with you, Ricardo, and they show up. What advice do you give them when they're in front of the camera? And I know one piece that I often say is ditch the script stick with notes because it often reading from a script comes off a bit stilted in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a teleprompter and some
1: people are really good at using the teleprompter. Uh, most people are not. Having notes and not, not feeling like you have to structure every sentence exactly the way that you wrote it down. As if you were telling, you know, you were lecturing in front of your students. I don't think that most people go up a scripted lecture when they go up there. They have, they have some ideas about what they want to say and they depend on their knowledge to, you know,
2: to, to share that. But I have to drop in the usability hat at this point mm-hmm. and wear that. I like scripts. I like using the uh, teleprompters. And there's some really great apps that you can get for free on your iPhone that can, and your iPad that can act as, as a teleprompter. In fact, there's one that will put the text near the front-facing camera so that you're at least looking towards the camera and not mm-hmm. off camera, because the eye angle and it'll you know and by having that it makes it easier to provide captions when you post to YouTube because yeah. YouTube live captions are nice but they're not perfect. Yeah. Otherwise, it could cost you a dollar a minute to have somebody else do it. And I gotta say, Stephen, you are in the pantheon of people who know how to use that <laughs> that have come
1: into the studio and can speak from a teleprompter.
2: And I'll tell you, it's practice. Mm-hmm. I, I was horrible at first and hated it, and I said, no, this is something I need to do because of a usability standpoint, and I'm really glad I got comfortable doing it.
3: Yeah, I know of some videographers that will argue with you there, Stephen, and I think the argument is that you don't walk into your classroom with a script – And that sort of conveys more of sort of a humanness, right? You're going to make mistakes. You may not, you know, uh, structure your sentences grammatically correct
2: every time. But there's a difference between making mistakes and other things. I mean, I'm not saying I follow my my script perfect, oh, you know? Yeah. And sometimes I'll see some structures that just don't sound right, even though I've practiced it two or three times. And I do know faculty who have walked in with a script and they just read from their paper. And, and, and I've known faculty over the years who they have notebooks of those things and they almost go word for word every semester. So there wow. are some out there who do that, mm-hmm. not many. But I'm, I'm with you. You, you the, the thing is, for me, the script keeps me on track. And if I say I'm going to do a three-minute audio or, th- or two-minute video or whatever I'm going to do, having that script allows me to hit all those points and not wander and then wonder, how did this thing get to be 20 minutes? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it is a skill to um, script something and not make it sound robotic. Oh,
3: that's a big skill. Yeah. Yes. it
0: <laughs> yeah. takes a lot of practice. Absolutely. And I've, tried, I've done it too, so it's...
3: Oh, I'm guilty as charged. Absolutely. I used to do a podcast when I was teaching in China. And mm-hmm. I would say the first three or four months, I was reading from a script mm-hmm. every episode. And eventually, I was able to start pushing it to the side. And I was you know, you sort of start keeping mental notes about where you should be going. But it took a lot of practice. Yeah. yeah again, like. that, that practice
1: just, you know. It's it, what you need. It's what you need. 10,000 hours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's you great. should probably
0: yeah. practice before you actually go into the videographer and start doing your recording.
1: <laughs> if you have the time. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right, Not guys. You know, I think that class. also you can start, you know, low stakes. You can do, introdu- you know, um, messages to the class. You know, we've had some instructors come in and just do like a midterm message. Like, hey, I hope you guys are doing well. Here's some resources that are out there for you. Kind of lower the stakes instead of doing like a whole lecture in front of a video camera. I think that's Mm -hmm. a
0: great example of instructor presence, especially for an online course, Mm -hmm. is doing those little messages where they wouldn't normally see their instructor and know exactly who they are, but throwing out those little video messages so they can kind of get to know them a little better or start to feel like they're actually there with them. Mm
1: -hmm. I I would add, if you're
2: going to do those, those, those weekly introductions, my recommendation is script it out. And when you go to record it, move the computer that you're going to read off of so that it's eye level with you when you're standing. Because looking down will constrict your throat and that will make things sound more robotic and stiff. Posture. And Mm. and posture. And you know what? Smile. Smile because people can hear you smile when you're on the, you know, they can hear it. Yeah. And, and you know, it changes how your throat and the muscles work.
3: Apparently for the best voice sound, I guess, or best vocal sound, you want to sit upright and project from the diaphragm, mm-hmm. which I'm not doing right now. I'm doing all. that right now, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, posture down. makes a huge difference. Yeah. And one of my uh,
1: directions always is, you know, if someone reads something that sounds a little, or, you know, on camera, they're reading something that sounds a little stilted. I'll say, can you do that again? Just with a big smile on your face. And it kind of breaks the ice a little bit, kind of breaks the tension of of what they're doing. And it's, it'll make them laugh a little bit and they'll smile and they'll, they'll read it. And it's always, it's always better once they do do it again.
0: I'm pretty sure I've been on the other end of that one. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, sure. And recording Celia's glower
3: power, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: pretty sure Ricardo's told me that before. <laughs> All
3: right, so wrapping it up, you have created your content. Let's, if you create it with using the green screen budget, chances are your institution also has a method for getting it out there, it. right? Distribution, yeah, distribution. So, like at ASU, we have Media AMP which we upload all our uh, audio and video assets to, and that can be streamed through the classes. But that's a bit siloed, right? You can only access that material if you're in the class. Not anymore. Oh, there was an update recently. A new update. They have Modalis, which actually has
1: the ability to... You can send the link, you can share the link, you can embed it into websites that are not specifically tied to the LMS.
2: That's right. So if you've created something that you want to share with others after you use it in your class and share it as an open educational resource, you then have the option to open it up and share that link if you want. But by default, you're absolutely correct. It is to your class and only your class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Any other suggestions for platforms, particularly for the DIYers out there? YouTube.
0: YouTube. 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 Uh,
1: One of the complaints that we get from faculty here is that they don't want to see other videos associated with their videos. That's very easy to
2: fix. embed the video in your core shell. Oh, okay. And then when you get the embed code from YouTube, there's a switch that will turn off the suggest other videos. Oh, really? So whenever I embed a video, it just... Fades to black and it's done, and I don't get the rabbit hole of other places to go. Oh, You're wow. talking about at the end of the video, it has. They'll have other suggestions. Suggestions, yeah. right? And sometimes yeah.
3: it's completely unrelated to the video you just yeah. watched. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can turn yeah. that off, fortunately. Oh, cool. It, Great. It
4: may still be served with ads, though. It's a free service. So,
2: yeah. At, yeah, the front end ad is always a risk. Mm-hmm. Private, unlisted, public. How to Un- publish? Unlisted. I start unlisted and then I might move it to public.
3: And unlisted basically means you have to explicitly share that URL with somebody for them to find it. They won't be able to use YouTube's search engine to find that video.
1: Correct, yeah. yes. So I work for a department that we are not only are we the instructional do the instructional media, but we also do marketing. So in some cases, it would be beneficial to have the content a little more easily accessible, even through social media. So we have, again, with that fellowship project, it's it's also a promotional project. So we're we're releasing it through social media, you know, not, not all of it, but we're releasing, you know, the introduction of the class to kind of get people interested in the course. So yeah, I think that there probably is a way to kind of utilize social media, you know, social networking to maybe do some experiments with the way that the course is run.
2: So where do you draw that line then? Well, i g I'm I gonna know. give a second argument <laughs> for for why you might want to do a public before you may want to answer that question, and that is self-promotion. Mm-hmm. Being on a program planning committee for conferences. When we're looking for keynote speakers, we will look to YouTube and we will look for where you have presented. And if you can present, you know, some of your best of, that's a great way for us to kind of get an idea of what you talk about, your breadth and depth of what you talk about and how you talk. You know, not trying to encourage people to to go to other institutions, but if you are looking for maybe opportunities, having that portfolio out there of here's what I talk about and how I talk about it to my students. That goes a good way of showing how well, how your knowledge is and how strong it is in that topic and how well a good of a communicator you are.
3: Is there ever a circumstance where you don't want to share publicly the video? I'm thinking maybe if there are students in your video.
2: definitely. If you're, if you're talking about student stuff, I think it's going to be one of those things that, you know, I, I think most faculty would recognize that if you're, you're calling out students or suggesting or using their when calling out means not just negatively but just in general using their names and anything that's personally identifiable yeah i mean yeah i'd probably keep it unlisted Mm -hmm. at that point but i would never use private and the reason why that i would never use private is i would have to associate everyone's individual youtube account in order for them to watch it right i don't want to get into that business (laughs) it's a lot of work
0: i would also add on sometimes i see that instructors are doing pre-exam reviews I would also probably not put that as public.
3: Good point, Celia,
1: yes. I think there's something interesting about experimenting with how to connect with your students, too. Maybe there is a way to connect with them through YouTube. Maybe they're sharing videos to the course. I mean, I don't know anybody that is actually doing it, but I think there's potential for for some cool interactions happening um, between instructors and, and students. It's such a popular platform.
0: There are now tools that offer, like, Let's say video discussion boards mm-hmm. um, versus just text discussion boards. So that is becoming a, a- Bigger thing, I think, now.
3: The whole reason I take an online
2: course is to hide. I don't know why I'd want it not. <laughs> I'm waiting for the student to do the Dilbert method of having a sock puppet in their place <laughs> <for> their <video. laughs> That's a great point. I'm doing that next time.
4: And there are a couple podcast or audio only channels or distribution methods that we might talk about. If you did want to make it public, you could go through things like iTunes. Um, so there are some options to consider there as well. SoundCloud, SoundCloud, mm-hmm. which has
3: been resurrected. Mm-hmm. It yes. was Chance the knocking Rapper knocking on uh, Heaven's door. Chance
1: but... the Rapper, yeah, <laughs> he saved it.
0: He put money into that to Did make he? sure. Uh huh.
1: I like Chance the yeah, Rapper. Yeah,
0: he put money into it because that's where he was distributing a lot yeah. of his music. So yeah. he put a lot of money into that sound into SoundCloud to make sure that it stayed.
2: And uh-huh. thus, our distribution channel remained alive. Yeah. Yes.
3: Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Thank Chance. You, Chance. Be sure to <laughs> check out the Instruction by Design podcast on SoundCloud. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well we hope you have enjoyed this episode of Instruction by Design Your podcast to the art of teaching For more information about instructional multimedia Be sure to check out our show notes I would like to give a big thanks to our listeners for joining us today In our conversation with Jeanette Senecal, Celia Kuchwaitiwa, Stephen Crawford Ricardo Leone and myself Aaron Kraft And Ricardo is there anything you'd like to say on our way out?
1: No I should come up with my little uh,
0: Yes come up he, with it
1: He's uh, super cool and everybody loves him. <laughs> Ricardo Leon.
0: He'll be famous one day. Ricardo Leon. <laughs> the end.
2: <laughs> Boom. That was pretty cool. You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD as in instruction by design underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at ASU.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash I-B-D underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.